This episode is dedicated in the memory of Chadwick Boseman, from Jackie Robinson to James Brown to Thurgood Marshall, and of course, Chichala. You have played some memorable roles, and you will be sorely missed. Rest in power, my friend, and Wakanda forever. Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. Before we jump into this episode, let me just welcome everybody to Season 4. It is Season 4 of Stuff You Don't Need to Know. For those of you that have been with me from the beginning, thank you for lasting all four seasons. Here's to another four and another four on top of that. So, hey, guess what, guys? The movies are back. Kind of, sort of. Uh, I spent this past week up in Massachusetts, moving my daughter Cassie back into school, getting her ready and everything like that. And I guess because Massachusetts just really kicked ass as a uh, quarantine state up there and really did things right, a lot of stuff was open. Gyms were open. They were doing a lot more indoor dining than I've seen around here, of course, with precautions and everything. And more importantly, the movies were open. And, you know... This was a movie that I really have been waiting to see for a while. It kind of went into development hell. Then, of course, with COVID and everything hitting, it just seemed like, well, this movie's just never going to come out. But it finally did, and I saw it. Of course, I'm talking about The New Mutants. Now, if you listen to any past episodes where I've uh, discussed movies and trailers and whatnot... This one has always been on my list. This is a movie that I've really, really wanted to see. Uh, when I was younger uh, and The New Mutants came out the very first time in comic book form, I was really excited. Uh, I gravitated to the team right away. You know, now I had been reading X-Men at the time and I was enjoying it. I was liking it. But I felt with The New Mutants sort of like, this is going to be my X-Men. Like, these are going to be the next generation of X-Men. I'm starting with them. This is going to be great. So, New Mutants has always the, the New Mutants have always held a near and dear place in my heart. So, of course, you know, hearing that they were going to be making a movie uh, about the New Mutants, I was very, very excited. Now, of course, with everything that had happened in the past uh, between Marvel and Sony, and of course, you know, with Disney and and, and whatnot. This movie really did kind of end up much like, uh, you know, Ileana Rasputin kind of did end up in limbo there for a while. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people were sort of questioning, like, well, why are we even going to get this movie? It was sort of like the last X-Men movie, like the Dark Phoenix movie, which I didn't even bother to see because I really felt like the studio just kind of put that one out like, eh, it's our last gasp, you know, we're losing this franchise anyway, so let's just really go out on a stinker. And I think what a lot of people feel with the New Mutants is, well, why are we getting this? You know, obviously they're going to try to develop something with this team. They're going to try to, you know, kind of develop it uh, along with the X-Men and everything, but, you know, Sony doesn't own it anymore. You know, it's kind of reverted back to Marvel via Disney and whatnot. So really, what's the point? I think the point is, is this was a pretty darn good movie. And before I go any further, 
there are going to be a lot of spoilers in this. Uh, I'm really going to, you know, I, I was thinking about it, spoilers, non-spoilers, and uh, I really enjoy this movie so much that there will be spoilers. But before I really kind of get into all of that, I'm just going to kind of talk about, you know, sort of going to the movies uh, in general, this movie in general, reviews and whatnot, and, you know, just really kind of, you know, get down to brass tacks, uh, so to speak. So like I said, uh, you know, I saw this uh, up at a theater at an AMC up in Massachusetts. Um, it was like me and three of my closest friends. Just kidding. Um, yeah, there were about three or four other people in the theater. We were very, very well spaced out. We all had to wear masks. Concessions were closed. There were very limited uh, show times, uh, I should say. I mean, really, when I got to the theater, um, interesting thing about that. So... Uh, like I said, I was moving my daughter up uh, to college, so of course I, I rent like a, a cargo van and whatnot, not realizing that, you know, I don't want to spend the week up there driving around a cargo van, especially with all her stuff in it. Um, the reason there was kind of like a gap is, of course, you know, uh, her college, like uh, a lot of colleges that are back in session, like having students come in live. Uh, she had to do a lot of testing. She had to do some medical testing, of course, COVID-19 testing. Actually, she's been up there a week, and I believe tomorrow she's going to be getting her third COVID test. Of course, everything is negative. She's doing fine. She's doing great. She's adjusting to it, whatnot. But yeah, you know, like, like I said, you know, I kind of really didn't think this whole thing through. So uh, yeah, so I walked to the movie theater. Now, from the hotel where I was staying, it really wasn't that far. The only thing is, is the part of Massachusetts I was in was very hilly, and I felt like both ways, coming and going, I was coming up some steep hills there. But you know what? It was all worth it. I was really excited to see this movie. I was really excited to actually get back into a movie theater. And yes, I had to wear a mask. I really didn't care. Uh, concessions were closed. That's fine by me. I could eat anytime, anywhere. That's not really a big concern of mine. I was back in the theater. Uh, you know, I got there just, <laughs> no, I shouldn't say just in time, even though I get reserved seating, like pretty much most of us do now. Anyways, I show up early, you know, I like to be there. I like to see, you know, what is it called? Nuvi with, uh, Maria Menudo's. Uh, I love that stuff, you know, all the little trivia, all the dumb commercials, of course, all the trailers and everything like that, you know, for me, it's the entire movie going experience. And I was so thrilled to get back into it. So sitting in a theater, uh, you know, again, watching the commercials, watching newbie or, you know, behind the scenes or whatever Maria Menudo's show, whatever the heck it's called, you know, watching all that, watching the trailers and, I just felt like, oh, God, finally, you know, part of my life is kind of getting back on track here and getting back to normal. Now, before I discuss The New Mutants, um, after I saw the film, I was really, really curious, you know, and this is something I normally don't do. I really, you know, normally I really don't care what the critics say because, you know, whether or not, whether or not a critic likes a movie really doesn't influence me very, very much. Um, you know, some of my friends that have very similar tastes in movies, sure, I might listen to them, but you know what? Not for nothing. I want to experience it myself. If I'm interested in seeing a movie, I'm going to go see that movie because I, I really want to see it. And I really, really wanted to see this movie. I really, really enjoy this movie. I'll get into rating it and everything at the end. But for some reason, um, and I guess because I purchased my tickets through Fandango, and of course, uh, pretty much as soon as the movie is done, you kind of get a message like, hey, 
tell us about the new mutants. And and I always do, you know, I always leave like my own sort of personal rating there. And for some reason I was like, well, let's see, you know, uh, let's see kind of like what the critics and what the fans thought. And I think on Rotten Tomatoes at the time when I saw it, which was a couple of days ago, it was at like um, 38% fresh, I think, and had about... 60 to 65 percent favorable reviews from the fans so i was a little i don't want to say confused or concerned i was just kind of curious so i i dug into uh, a lot of the you know professional reviews you know the movie critics and some of the fans and the ones that didn't like it and of course this is fans and critics one of the biggest criticisms that constantly came up was the fact like, well, this is this is an offshoot of the X-Men. It's like supposed to be a spin-off of the X-Men, but what you know, like like I didn't get that at all. Like this was like a completely separate entity and and there was no mention of the X-Men or the X-Verse. Like there was no way like a lot of, you know, critics and and fans or I should say moviegoers said was like, well, there was no real tie-ins to the X-Men. Yeah, there was. If you're a fan, if you're a fan of comic book movies, if you're a fan of the X-Men movies, and I'm talking all the X-Men movies, from the Brian Singer movies um, all the way up to, you know, pretty much the Dark Phoenix, you know, and with with Wolverine, um, Logan, and all that. Yeah, I mean, there were references to what I'm going to call the X-Verse. Were there, and I guess I should just start right here and just say, here come the spoilers. Were there uh, appearances by X-Men? No, there weren't. But think about it like this. Aquaman, right? Aquaman came out, very, very successful film for DC. Nobody was crying, complaining, going, well, how how do I know that this relates back to DC and and, and the Justice League and all that? Well, Wonder Woman didn't show up and Batman didn't show up and Superman didn't show up. Uh, you know, where, where was all that? Like, ah, this, this was a horrible standalone movie, you know, was something you really did not hear anybody say. And again, they made references, you know, in Aquaman, they made references to kind of like the big incident, basically meaning the Justice League movie. Um, not the fact that it was bad, you know, but the fact of the, of the events that happened in that film, you know, there were some references like that and spread all throughout this movie were subtle references like that. And, you know, I'm sitting here going, okay, maybe some of the critics who are not really comic book fans, since it wasn't blatantly in their face, you know, we didn't get James McAvoy or or Patrick Stewart, you know, or um, uh, now I'm totally blanking on some of the actors who played X-Men. Like Hugh Jackman didn't make an appearance. You know, just just because we didn't get appearances from them, doesn't mean that this wasn't tied into the X-Verse at all. There were a lot. There were a lot of of mentions of X-Men and and X-Verse related things that, yes, I am a comic book fan. Yes, I'm a fan of the New Mutants. I know where the the, the New Mutants, the original New Mutants, because I I haven't, I know they're probably revamped by now and it's probably a, a different lineup and a whole different take on it. So I'm going to use my reference from the original New Mutants, you know, that came back in the 80s. Like, I know where they stand in the whole X-Universe, the X-Verse as as all. And I really felt that even though I knew that, I would feel that, you know, people that paid attention to the X-Men movies 
would would see some of the, yeah again yeah i mean patrick stewart didn't you know oh hello there here i am charles xavier no we didn't get that i mean first of all there was mention of the x-men like hey you heard of the x-men yeah, I heard it. Of course I heard it. You know, and, and it's like, yeah, that's the thing is the kids in this movie, the new mutants in this movie were like, yeah, I heard of the X-Men. So, okay, there you go. They're talking about it right then and there. So before we go into any more sort of X-Men and X-Verse tie-ins, let's just take a look at this movie overall. So, you know, one of the criticisms or another criticism that I saw about it is, is, is you know, some some fans, you know, not so much critics who really aren't deeply connected or, or, or have a connection to comic books in general. So fans, comic book fans, comic book movie fans, you know, some of the criticisms that they kind of levied against this or, or some more criticisms that they levied against this is like, well, you know, there were some differences. There were some differences from this new mutants to the comic book new mutants. Now, again, I'm going to assume that they mean the original new mutants, because one of the, you know, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that would be different from the original new mutants is for the most part, this is the original lineup, except for Ileana Rasputin, AKA magic. She came into the new mutants and I'm again, referencing back to the eighties and the nineties, not what's going on now. She came in later, this lineup that we got in the movie, you know, Wolfsbane, um, Sunspot, Cannonball and Mirage. Um, they are the original lineup. And the other member that was missing, of course, was Karma. So Karma was not in this movie. So Karma pretty much was replaced with, with Ileana. That's fine. I'm okay with it because I know that, you know, Ileana Rasputin does have ties to the new mutants and 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 whatnot. And yes, they did kind of revamp that character. They they did revamp a couple of the characters. Uh really magic and uh mirage you know the two those two characters were kind of altered a bit and changed a bit but for the sake of this movie and for the sake of storytelling and you know now that this is you know we're going to accept this new mutants team as canon in the x-verse it's absolutely fine so for those that don't really know Ileana Rasputin, you know, is the, she's the youngest sister of uh, Colossus, uh, you know, Peter Rasputin. Uh, of course, you know, you saw him in some of the X-Men movies. If you read the comics, you know exactly who who he is. She's his little sister. Now, I don't remember the exact details that happened in the comics. I believe it might have been Mr. Sinister or something similar sensed her mutant abilities and basically enacted I'm not exactly sure how, you know, um, but basically they they aged her up from a small girl pretty much up into a teenager. So she was a teenager really discovering her mutant abilities. Um, because of that, you know, she was brought to Charles Xavier, he placed her in the new mutants, and there we go. In the film here, we don't get any of that. There's no mention of Colossus. There's no mention of Peter at all, Peter Rasputin at all. No sense that Ileana, you know, was somehow aged up, you know, either, you know, through science or magic or anything like that. You know, this is, I don't want to say grown up because they're all teenagers or they're all playing teenagers, I should say. But this Ileana Rasputin, this magic is pretty much, you know, this is who she is. You know, she aged normally. She came into her powers just like everybody else did. 
And again, for the sake of storytelling, I'm okay with that because if we go really to her origin with this whole, you know, she was she was aged up, then she was de-aged and, and this and that and, and her relationship, it's going to get too muddled. It's going to get way too confusing. She is who she is and let's just deal with that. Uh, the other difference was Danny Moonstar, uh, a.k.a. Mirage. There were some differences between the comic book Mirage and this movie Mirage. In in the film here, in the New Mutant film, I should say, um, Danny's a lot more powerful than she is in the comics. So much so that, you know, when she's kind of brought into this movie, uh, it pretty much all starts with her. Um when she kind of becomes part of the new mutants and uh, you know, this whole sort of research facility or training facility where they're at, uh, she's actually identified as probably, you know, a high level mutant uh, so much so that whoever's kind of controlling things behind the scenes deems her as like dangerous and unstable and kind of targets her for termination. Danny's powers, Mirage's powers is basically she can tap into your deepest fears and sort of, make illusions to them so basically try to scare you you know she she knows what she knows kind of like what your nightmares are and she brings them to life but again you know they're they're um i mean like her name says mirage i mean they're not real they're really illusions in the film here she literally brought to life the fears that all these characters had uh even her own deep personal fear which, you know, turned out to be a spirit known as Great Bear, which is from the comics. And again, here in the movies, this is like Great Bear, which was like a giant spirit bear, was sort of the manifestation of her fears. In the comics, it was actually a separate spirit that actually had some kind of conflict with Danny's family, might be responsible for the death of her father or grandfather. I can't really quite remember. She eventually does uh, able to kind of make peace with it, where here it's almost sort of like Great Bear is a part of Danny. So I actually appreciated the fact that they kind of powered up uh, Danny Moonstar and made her uh, a much more powerful mutant than she was in the comics because she's a great character in the comics. Um, you know, my reading of her, you know, the, the stories that I read with her is really when she was older and she kind of came back to the X-Men as a teacher, as a mentor, as a leader, kind of recognizing that like, yeah, my powers might not be the greatest. You know, when I'm going up against an army of ninjas, you know, how can I use their greatest fears against them? These guys really don't fear much of anything. Like she, she always kind of felt sort of powerless where here next to some pretty powerful mutants or, you know, or, or mutants that are really coming into their powers and, and their powers are really, you know, extraordinary. She really stands out as probably probably being one of the highest level mutants within this group. So, like I said, the movie pretty much starts with her. And um, I just want to talk really quick about the actress that played uh, Danny Moonstar. Um, it's a newcomer who goes by the name of Blue Hunt. She is, uh, you know, reading up on her bio. Um she is a descendant of the Lakota tribe here in the United States. So that's great. You know, we get a Native American actor to play a Native American role. And what I really appreciated about it is, is they didn't really put that in your face, you know. And that's something I think that, thankfully, Hollywood has really kind of done a much better job of as of late. You have a Native American character 
you know, we're not overdoing it. We're not going over the top because I do remember, you know, early on in the new mutants, I mean, they really kind of went out of their way to like, let you know that Danny Moonstar was native American from kind of the attire that they gave her to her whole presentation. I mean, with the twin braids, like she was like the land of lakes, butter girl or something like that. I mean, it was, you know, looking back on it now, it was, I don't want to, it was kind of silly. So it, it was great, you know, like I said, this actress, Blue Hunt, she did an, an absolutely amazing job. So pretty much the movie starts with her, and, and she's really a big focus of it here. Pretty much what happens right from the get-go is uh, her entire reservation is wiped out. She's told that it is it was from like a massive tornado that's set down, um, and she was the only survivor. She doesn't really believe that, and we go on to find out later that that really was not the case. It was actually the manifestation of her mutant abilities, like I said, in the form of the Great Bear Spirit, which was kind of like her projection of her deepest fears. You know, it came to life, and it pretty much wiped out her entire village. Um, So like I said, she pretty much wakes up. She's in some facility run by uh, a woman named Dr. Uh, Celia Reyes. Now, the thing is, is... When I heard the name, I was like, okay, kind of sounds familiar. Later on, we go on to find out that she herself is a mutant as well. She has the ability to kind of create and project force fields. And I was like, okay, I know for sure that this is a character. You know, she's someone important. I did look it up. She was not so much a member of the X-Men, but she was an ally to the X-Men. Um, you know, she she is a doctor, and here in, in the movie, she she is a doctor. You know, she she talks to Danny about it and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, a bit of a role reversal here. She was always a big-time ally to the X-Men. Here, not so much so. So, she wakes up in this, in this facility, which is kind of, you know, looks like... Um, like an abandoned, almost like I want to say like an abandoned, like old timey, a sane asylum out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Danny goes to find out that it's surrounded by a huge force field, which we find out later is, is projected by Dr. Reyes. Um, and she is told, and the other mutants here are told that, you know, they're here because they're, 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 they, they just kind of achieved puberty and their powers are coming out. And in order to kind of protect themselves and protect humanity in general, they have to really kind of come to grips with it and deal with it and learn how to control it. And then if they do a good job of doing that, of kind of controlling and learning how to use their powers, they can kind of go on to the next phase. Now, this is where we start to get mentions of the X-Verse because, you know, this is where like the comment of like, you know, you've heard of the X-Men, right? Oh, yeah, we heard of the X-Men. No problem at all. It is heavily implied that this is kind of like a training program to lead up to the X-Men. Um, Dr. Reyes talks about her supervisor, you know, somebody who's kind of overseeing the project. And again, it's not stated, but it is heavily implied that that is Charles Xavier. And, you know, for a good part of this film, you know, the kids really believe that, hey, you know, we're kind of part of the X-Men program now. What comes up, you know, here is is a pretty good debate. Um, a couple of the characters, uh, Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, is like, well, what if I don't want to be an X-Men? You know, what if I just want to go out and live a normal life? Uh, Ileana, of course, too, you know, and again, her character her characterization here in the movie is a lot different than comic book um, Ileana. You know, she has a very, very cynical view on life, and she's just like, you know, I have no desire, you know, I have no desire to be here. I have no desire to learn how to, like, sort of control my powers. My powers are my powers. I do with them what I want. 
and there's no way in hell I want to be an X-Man. It's really, really interesting. And, and again, seeing some of the criticism out there where people were like, well, you know, barely ties into the, uh, to the X franchise. Well, I mean, they're dropping the hints. And here's the thing. It doesn't have to be blatant. It doesn't have to, like, again, you know, Hugh Jackman doesn't have to, like, pop his head around the corner going, hi, here I am. You know, we, we don't need, you know, James McAvoy coming from the past, like, oh, I'm here to rescue you children. Come help me save the 60s or the 70s or something like that. No, we don't need that. We get enough mentions of it that it's in the back of your mind. You're like, okay, this is a part of the X-Men universe. We take it a step further when Dr. Reyes reveals that she works for something known as the Essex Foundation. Okay, yes, you have to be a pretty big, you have to be a pretty big comic book fan to get that reference. The Essex Foundation, Nathaniel Essex, Mr. Sinister. But here's the thing. We've seen the Essex Foundation before in these films. Where do you ask? I will tell you. So, X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, I know. It's a painful to think about that movie. If you remember in that film, there was that cameo by Hugh Jackman where he was sort of like Weapon X. You know, he was he was locked up in the vault. He had the whole Weapon X, you know, where he was pretty much naked. Uh, he had the big helmet on. Uh, he had all the wires coming out of him. Um, a very young Jean Grey sets him free to kind of help, you know, have him kind of cause a distraction so they can escape. If you remember in that movie, you know, the facility that they were in where they they freed Logan, at the end of that movie in like a stinger scene, we see that there's some sort of mysterious agency or foundation cleaning it all up. We see a guy come in with an attache case. He goes into the room where the vault that held Logan was. Of course, it's now open. Logan is long gone. And he takes blood samples. There's blood samples there from Logan. He takes them. He stores them. He closes the briefcase, Essex Foundation on it. And I remember seeing that, you know, having sat through that really not so great X-Men movie and seeing that going, oh, my God, Mr. Sinister is coming. I'm going to take it another step further. The movie Logan. We understand, you know, we learned that there's a facility in Mexico that basically took the genetic material from known mutants especially Logan, because that's where Laura came from, you know, and, and they use that genetic material to create a new batch of mutants. It is heavily, heavily implied in that movie, um, you know, and, and after kind of seeing, you know, you, you have to do a little bit of thinking here um, because that's sort of the question that really never got answered. But if you pay attention, it can be answered. In Logan, we know that Laura was made from the genetic material of Logan, where did they get that material? X-Men Apocalypse. That stinger scene. Essex Foundation comes in. They take his genetic material. They take his blood samples. That's where we got it from. So we now know, you know, we find out later on in the film that, the, you know, this little hospital, this little training facility has nothing to do with the X-Men at all. It has all to do with the Essex Foundation, which, again, Nathaniel Essex, Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister is a character that has always been interested in the mutant genes, studying them, stealing them, reproducing them, you know, for his own means. In the comics, he really had a fixation on the Summers, you know, on, on, on a Scott and Alex Summers. You know, he wanted their genetic material so badly. Um, and here we see it. You know, he's studying all these mutants. He is learning their powers. I mean, we see multiple instances of, you know, 
him, well, I can't say him because we don't know, this sort of head of or this 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 leader of the Essex Foundation constantly sending messages and emails to Dr. Reyes, you know, uh, especially when Danny shows up, you know, study her more, have her interact with the other kids, you know, get samples from her. And when we see them, you know, we see Dr. Reyes taking, I don't want to say numerous, but she does take a good amount of blood samples from Danny. So, you know, to all the people that said like, well, you know, how is this an X-Man film? It's not blatant. It's not in your face. But if you paid attention to the X-Movies, and especially if you're a see, and that's the thing that kind of got to me. I could understand movie critics who really are not into comic books at all. And yes, they've probably seen all these X-Men films, but the little subtleties like that, they never really picked up on. I mean, a movie critic that's never been into comic books sees that stinger scene in X-Men Apocalypse and is like, okay, some guys came in and they took, you know, they took Logan's blood. Okay, that's not going to be a good thing, but, you know... When the briefcase, excuse me, when the briefcase closes and it says Essex Foundation, that flies right over their head and they're probably just going to leave it at that thinking, well, that'll be explained in another film. You know, this Essex Foundation, whatever it is, I'm not going to go on Comicopia or whatever and do a little bit of research on it. So I understand movie critics saying, well, this is not really an X-Men film. I don't get the tie-ins, this and that. But when I read reviews from comic book fans, from for people who claim to be comic book fans, or people who say, I, I shouldn't say claim, for people who say that they are comic book fans and saying like, well, where's all the references to the X-Men? Again, they're not blatant, but they are there. And I mean, there actually is a blatant one when it's, you know, we get that conversation of, you know, hey, have you heard of the X-Men? I think this program is leading us to the X-Men. We are going to be X-Men. It's right there. A little bit more you know, into the movie is as Dr. Reyes is studying Danny, um, at one point she actually kind of drugs her. Um, she says she's doing some testing. Uh, I don't know if it's like a truth serum that she gives her or something to kind of lower her inhibitions to maybe help manifest or, or, or kind of pull her mutant powers out of her. But basically, uh, as her mutant powers are starting to ramp up and kind of go out of control a bit, um, not only is Danny kind of creating, you know, these making everybody, you know, the other new mutants, making their fears kind of come to life. She's viewing Dr. Reyes's fears. Uh, she sees and, you know, later on, she tells the other members, she's like, you know, I don't think we're destined for the X-Men. You know, I looked into her mind being Dr. Reyes. You know, I looked into Dr. Reyes's mind and I saw a facility, a facility where they had young mutants and they were they were controlling them and making them do horrible things. And in that scene, that scene where she actually read or or I should say saw Dr. you know, inside Dr. Reyes's mind, it was actually, you know, footage from the movie Logan when we had that, you know, facility down in Mexico that was raising these 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 new mutants basically they were called, you know, in that film as well. It was actual. It was actual footage from there. So when I saw that, I was like, "Wait a minute." So does this take place around the time of Logan? But I don't think so because, like I said, when they mentioned the X Men, you know, like, "Hey, have you heard of the X Men?" It was like, "Oh, I think I heard of those guys." You know, they were around. No, it was sort of like the X Men were a current thing. It's like X Men. Yeah, I've heard of them. Um, so they probably just took the footage from that because, of course, you know, if you know the history of this film, there had been a lot of rewrites, this and that. So instead of kind of shooting new scenes, they were like, we have some footage. We'll show it real quick. 
most people probably won't even remember that this was like a, a small scene from from Logan, and and there it is, and and I really think that that's how it was used there. So again, you know, we we get all these tie-ins and things. So you know, for comic book fans to say, "Nah, this is not an X Men film," you know, where are the tie tie-ins and this and that, they're there. You know, you just have to pay attention a little bit. And I just realized now. I'm supposed to be telling you about this movie and I'm just kind of ranting and going off. So overall, look, overall, I think this was a really good film. Scale of one to 10, I give it a solid eight. Uh, I felt the film did kind of start off slow. I was a little worried in the beginning. It was looking a little hokey, but once it really kind of ramps up and gets going, it's really an excellent film. All of these actors really do an amazing job. Like I said, Blue Hunt, who played Danny Moonstar, I had never seen her in anything before. I think she was absolutely amazing. Um, Charlie Heaton, uh, who played Sam Guthrie, also known as Cannonball. Uh, I know he's from Stranger Things. I never watched Stranger Things, um, but he did a really good job. I don't know. I really don't know anything about this actor. He did a very convincing sort of like, I don't want to say Southern drawl. I mean, Sam Guthrie, you know, the Guthrie family is a very, very poor family from Kentucky. Uh, pretty much Sam, his dad, uh, a lot of his siblings work in the coal mines. And uh, Charlie Heaton really pulled that off. I believe he is British. And if that is the case, then he put on one heck of an amazing accent. Um, but even just kind of conveying that kind of, you know, I don't want to say hick. I mean, he, he's really not a hick. But, you know... Um, portraying like a young man who's coming from, you know, Appalachia. I mean, I think he did a really, really good job of it. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, who played Ileana Rasputin, uh, she did an amazing job. If she kind of looks familiar to you, she was uh, the young girl who, um, in the movie Split with James McAvoy, who, you know, he had the multiple personalities and everything. She was the one, she was the girl that survived uh, in the film, the follow-up film Glass. You know, she was there as well. Um, as Ileana, she did an amazing, amazing job. And I know that she, you know, really from the trailers and and, and whatnot, you know, she, you really kind of got the feeling that she was going to be the focus of this film. Like she was going to be the big, like she was going to be, she was going to be the Wolverine of this movie. And although she did a really good job and her character was really good. Again, Blue Hunt as um, Mirage, Danny Moonstar. I think she really stole the show. Uh, Sunspot, Roberto DaCosta, was portrayed by a Brazilian actor by the name of Henry Zaga. And, you know, one of the things I did read about this is, I mean, Henry Zaga is from Brazil. Um, Roberto DaCosta, Sunspot, is also from Brazil. Um, if you know anything about Brazil, uh, it's a very diverse country. Yes, they are all, you know, they all speak Portuguese there, uh, but because of the Portuguese conquest and, and the natives that had lived there, if you go to Brazil, you know, you will see Brazilians that range from the whitest of the white to the darkest of the dark. I mean, it's it's really, it's, it's a big spectrum there. And in the comics, Roberto da Costa was always very dark-skinned. Um, here, you know, Henry Zaga is more fair skinned and a lot of people were like, oh, Hey, you know, guys, thanks for, thanks for whitewashing sunspot here. Um, the actor is Brazilian, you know, it's, 
I mean, he's a good actor, and I think he did a good job. The, the, the one kind of criticism I have on the character of Sunspot is they focus so much on the other characters, he really didn't get a chance to really kind of shine, to like kind of really develop. Like, you really didn't get to know him. You did see him in the end. You, get, you did see his powers... Um, or I, I don't want to say manifest because he had already manifested his powers, but you did see him use his powers. And yes, it was good. And, and yes, he was a good actor, but you really didn't get a chance to know him or anything like that. Um, the last member of the new mutants, of course, is Wolfsbane, uh, portrayed by Maisie Williams. Of course, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, she was Arya Stark. She did an absolutely amazing job in this film. The character of Wolfsbane has always been a very, very interesting character. Um, Rain Sinclair, who is Wolfsbane, comes from a small village in Ireland. Uh, she has a very strong Catholic upbringing. The, the village that she lives in or the area of Ireland that she lives in is, is, has, you know, a very strong Catholic presence, a very conservative Catholic presence, so much so that in the comics, as well as here in the movies, you know, when they're kind of talking about, you know, they're, they're kind of having a therapy session. And it's like, you know, well, tell us how your powers manifested. And uh, Rain Sinclair tells about how, you know, her powers manifested. And of course, you know, her powers is she's she's essentially a werewolf. Uh, she can transform from a young girl into sort of like a, a werewolf type of, of person all the way on to a full wolf. And she was talking about, you know, how when her powers manifested, she transformed into a wolf and she went running through the woods and she felt so open and so free. Yet, because of her upbringing, she knew it was wrong. She knew it was a sin. She went to church. She told the priest. She transformed and showed the priest. He he branded her a demon, literally branded her because we see later on a, a W kind of um branded into her shoulder uh w of course for witch and uh because of that because he was really going to beat her to death she transformed into a werewolf and she did kill him um another interesting thing about the character here in the movie i don't know if this is the same in the comics i don't remember seeing this but quite honestly i really like the what direction they went there like i said the film starts with Danny coming to this facility, and right away she catches the eye of of Rain. Uh, you can see, you know, especially the way Maisie Williams plays it, you could see that she is very, very attracted to Danny. Uh, she gets very close to Danny. She gets very attached to Danny. She becomes very protective of her. She becomes very helpful to her, and you know, you also see that strong Catholic catholic upbringing that she has and and sort of like that that catholic guilt that she has there's a scene where you know on the grounds of this facility that they're at there is a chapel there um when iliana is giving danny a tour she's kind of like you know that's that building that's that building that's the chapel if you believe in that there's no services going on there it's an abandoned building it's an empty building but you see rain goes in there she goes into the confessional. Of course, there's no priest there. There's no one there. But she does confess her sins there. And one of the sins that she does confess is, you know, and, uh, you know, so one of the sins that she confesses is that she recently masturbated. And you kind of know, <laughs> you know, based on the way that she had looked at uh, Danny and the fact that she's admitting it now, 
you kind of get where that's going. So we get a really, really good scene here where um, we see, I guess, quite often the kids kind of drug <laughs> Dr. Ray as they spike her tea. So she'll fall asleep and she won't be able to monitor them. And they kind of have a run of the place. And on this one particular night that they do it, um, a storm blows in. It's thunder, there's lightning, there's rain. And while the other kids uh, are kind of off having fun, Rain sneaks Danny outside. She's like, I want to show you something. And like I said, there's a force field that protects this entire area. Um, when something kind of comes in contact with it, it has like this orange glow. So they go out um, into like kind of this open field, this open area. They lay down and they look up at, at this force field dome. As the rain and the storm kind of hits it, it kind of gives this very beautiful sort of like Aurora Borealis type effect. Um, and Rain is like, I really wanted to show this to you. And you, you, you could see it. You could see that she's really in love with Danny and she's, she's starting to confess it. And Danny like doesn't miss a beat at all. She's sort of like, she tells Rain how amazing, you know, she is and how she's like, you know, you, you've been so great to me. You've been so kind to me. You know, you're protecting me. You're looking out for me. She goes, my fear is, is that it's like, I'm afraid that I dreamed you up, that you're not real. And she's like, I assure you I'm very much real. And they share a very, very tender moment together. And you can see that they establish an excellent relationship right there. And I just want to say to, to the filmmakers, I think, you know, in portraying that relationship, I think they did a great job of it. They didn't overplay it. They didn't underplay it. I think they did it just right. It's a romantic relationship. Yes, it's a romantic relationship between two women, between two females. But, you know... A romantic relationship between two women, between two men, uh, between a man and a woman, you know, it's all the same. It's love. It's it's romantic love. It's passionate love. It's, you know, whatever it is, just because, you know, it's a relationship between people of the same gender or, you know, people of different gender, it's all the same. It's love. Love is love. <laughs> That's basically what I'm trying to say. And I think the filmmakers did a really, really good job there. Um like I said, overall, scale of 1 to 10, I give this film a solid 8. Um, the action was really, really good. Um, the story was very good. The, the actors did an amazing job with it. Uh, big fight scene at the end, of course. You know, I mean, yes, this is an origin movie. We're learning who these characters are. We're, we're seeing for the first time what their powers are. And we get a nice, great battle at the end of it. And, of course... It sets itself up for not just a sequel, but of course, multiple movies. This obviously was meant to be a franchise to kind of coexist alongside the X-Men. Of course, like, you know, movies in the MCU where you have all these standalone, you know, you have your Iron Man movie and your Captain America movies and your Thor movies. And then, of course, they'll come together. They'll do the Avengers. You know, they'll they'll kind of have these kind of crossover events and whatnot. You could definitely see that that's what they're trying to set up here doing a little bit of reading, you know, the intent was that, yes, you know, this was going to be their origin story. And yes, this was going, this is a horror film. People might be, people might've said like, well, it's an, it's an X film. It's an X-Men film. Why is it a horror film? Danny Moonstar. That's the reason why her power pretty much brings your fears to life, your nightmares to life. And that's why this was going to be a horror film. So reading on where this franchise was going to go, maybe it will still go there. Who knows? Um, they escape this facility. They're sort of on their own. They're going to stick together because, you know, they really bonded in, you know, throughout this movie. 
one of the probably the, the next movie to come along would have involved them going down to Brazil. Um, Roberto's family, the DaCosta family, uh, especially his father, who I believe his name was Emilio, Emilio DaCosta, is a very rich and, and influential man in Brazil, if not the world. He has some ties to the Hellfire Club, okay? So, you know, if you're if you're a fan of the X-Men, Hellfire Club, you know, you should know that from um, the James McAvoy films. You know, that was, uh, I was about to say Kevin Costner. <laughs> that was Kevin Bacon uh, as Sebastian Shaw, as the head of the Hellfire Club. Um, so Roberto's father was supposed to have very strong ties to the Hellfire Club. There was also going to be the introduction of Warlock. Warlock was uh, a mutant from another planet. He was like a techno-organic being essentially who was going to come to earth or who was sent to earth kind of to destroy it but when he meets the new mutants and he learns like what friendship is and this he becomes a very key part of the new mutants and you know they were looking to introduce that character if not in the second film perhaps in the third film like that would have been the warlock storyline and they went so far as to say that they were tapping sasha baron cohen yes borat himself um wearing a motion capture suit he was going to portray uh, Warlock. I think that would have been really, really interesting. And again, who knows? Maybe we will get these films. Maybe we won't. You know, again, people said, you know, what was the point of even, re- even releasing this thing? Disney has control. You know, Marvel, Disney, they have control of the X-Men again. This is not a Disney-Marvel film. So who cares? I'm kind of hoping... I'm kind of hoping actually they keep the cast intact and they kind of go from there. Like, okay, yes, you know, this wasn't their movie, but you kind of own it now. If you think about it, they kind of own it now, Disney and Marvel. Um, Run with it. Do something with it. I mean, you have a great cast here. Why, Why start all over again? You know, it's like you made this movie's out there. So just keep going with it. You know, it set itself up for a sequel. They have great sequel ideas. Just go for it. Before I wrap things up, um, you know, and especially in this day and age, especially if it's a comic book film, the big question always is, was there a stinger scene? Um, I mean, if you've made it this far, (laughs) you know, hopefully by making it this far, you've already seen the movie. But, you know, if you decided like, uh, you know, ah, I know there's spoilers, but I'm going to listen anyway because this is such an awesome podcast. Um, if you made it all the way this far, no, there's no stinger scenes at the end at all. Um, was that done because they kind of knew this was going to be their one and only chance to do a new Mutants film? I don't know. I didn't read anything on that. But no, there are no stinger scenes at all at the end of this film. But like I said, Overall, I had a really good time watching this movie, and again, 8 out of 10, started a little slow, was a little hokey in the beginning, but really picked up a head of steam, and it turned out to be an incredible film. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff You Don't Need to Know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys later. (laughs) 